0: And with the sound of the hammer against the Holy Starter, it marks the beginning of the 30th Missile for the Masses, the podcast where I, your host Gary, discuss my world of G.I. Joe, whether it's news, current events, what I'm buying, what's coming in the mail, what I'm reading, what I'm watching, all as it pertains to G.I. Joe. And I close out each episode with a closer look at a vehicle or playset from Anytime in the G.I. Joe line, this is the Chaplain's Assistance Motor Pod. And to start off this episode, uh, I'm going to talk about my trip to Terrificon, my favorite convention. am not going to say it's my only convention, but right, right now it's really the only comic slash toy slash pop culture convention I'm attending, but it is really good. It is really comic book focused and I really have a fun time there. I did spend the day hanging out with my friends, John and Lloyd from The Pint, a pop culture podcast. Met for the first time, Stu from Stu World Order Podcast. Hung out with him most of the day. And also Eve, a podcaster slash guest on The Pint. Uh, Great making new friends. And also uh, managed to hook up with Joey and Adam from So Wizard Podcast. And even met up with Andrew from Recent Activity Pod. So it was really cool hanging out with my friends all day, not to mention at Robert Baron's Inc., picked up new shirts from Sal and Funk and, you know, got the new Stranger Things tee. I know I'm not a Stranger Things fan. I've never watched an episode. My wife has been dying for me to watch it. But they had a new Stranger Things T-shirt and I had to pick up one for my wife. And because it's also Metallica related, I had to pick up one for myself now in case I guess I kind of got to watch the show. But anyway, back to Terrificon. First stop was uh, to see Larry Hama and get on his sketch list. Managed to uh, put down Storm Shadow from his Vietnam days and, you know, put that on there uh, and just, you know, wished him well on, you know, his current projects and also congratulated him on his Eisner Hall of Fame award. So that was pretty cool to see him only a week after him winning the Eisner Hall of Fame. And then for voice actors, they had a few voice actors from the Sunbow series. They had Michael Bell, who most notably as Duke, uh, Francois Chow, who played Quick Kick, and Keone Young, who was Storm Shadow. I also forgot to visit Dan Gilvison, who is the voice of Slipstream. He was also there. And the other actor that was also from G.I. Joe property was Lady J herself, Adrian Palicki, who was in G.I. Joe Retaliation. You know, the celebrity thing isn't really the reason why I go. Um, Adrian had a big line most of the day, and uh, but I did manage to get signatures of from Michael Bell on uh, Saturday Morning Adventures number four. And also on G.I. Joe 52, I managed to get Keone Young over Storm Shadow and Francois Chow over Quick Kick. And uh, it was actually pretty fun. I had a little conversation uh, with him regarding Quick Kick and doing all the bad impressions. So that was, it was a really good time. And uh, Michael Bell was also, I mean, they were all really nice. That was really cool getting the signatures. And for comic books, I didn't really want Larry Hammond to sign any more because I have enough his signature on enough different books so I did manage to go down to Klaus Johnson and get him to sign my G.I. Joe 21 and G.I. Joe 22 because he did the cover for G.I. Joe 22 as well and obviously he inked over Ed Hanigan on issue 21 so that really nails down all my signatures there you know I picked up the t-shirts and then you know hung out most of the day bought a couple back issues at the end of the day I get a phone call from Larry's handler saying that my sketch was done went back to Larry's booth paid for the sketch and he had the two his two new prints the first print was the cover of the 40th anniversary special the reprint of issue 21 which was Leo Loa's inks over Hama's pencils so I picked up that. They also had a colored version. I chose the uh, the inked version of that for that print. And then the other print was Camp Greer, which looks suspiciously enough like a certain fictional military base in Utah. And uh, it was really great to get those as well and wished Mr. Hama, you know, well on his current projects and on Operation Recall, you know, and that pretty much rounded out my day and then, you know, ended up with a Pepe's Pizza. Really terrific, really fun time with Terrificon. Uh, Spent more money than I should have, but I enjoyed every penny. Now, to follow that up was Operation Recall just ended, and my credit card got whacked. So congratulations to Carson Metaxas and the team that he has assembled. Ed Morrill, Ron Rudat, Pennington, all those guys Bazigian, Mr. Hama, so absolutely, you know, and I know I'm missing names, but congratulations to the whole team. Really happy, and I can't wait to see the backer kick come out where hopefully we'll be able to unlock the rest of the figures as well. So really cool to get more O-rings. Really excited that O-rings are recognized at a level where it is the standard by which other action figures are judged, especially in 118th scale. And I maintain that the O-ring figures are probably the best toys ever made. There was a lot of imitations, but imitation, they say, is the sincerest form of flattery. So that tells you how right they got it in 1982, 1983 with the swivel arm, 1985 with the ball joint neck. So... That's really, really congratulations on those guys. Again, can't wait to get them in hand. And that only means that the His Tank is not much far away for the Classified. So, well, I can't wait for her to get charged on that, but uh, that's going to be happening in about a week or so. So with Classified um, mail calls, I managed to get my hands on all four of the Classified retro uh, Walmart exclusives. I was able to get Gung Ho and Destro before Terrificon, and I was able to pre-order Lady J through Hasbro Pulse. Baroness sold out everywhere. And, you know, going into Terrificon and everybody's complaining about the shipping arrangements by Walmart, which was kind of funny. So Baroness I found reasonably, let's just put it this way, not destroyed at Terrificon, and I overpaid because I missed I missed the initial ordering window. You know, I took a look at them, and I'll do a quick-fire review of all of these because, I, you know, it's kind of a full episode today, and uh, just give you some initial thoughts. We'll start off with Destro because he's on the top of my stack. And the big thing about Destro is, you know, you have a little bit different color scheme, pretty much have the same accessories as the regular issue overall he's a faithful redeco back into a more 1983 aesthetic they didn't do any remolds for him you know he just looks basically like a more affordable version um, with the more muted paint scheme you know this is one that i felt was there's not enough different with it to make it seem like i needed to buy this that's about it. You have the, you know, the Star Wars pistol and then you have his uh, regular sidearm and you have the briefcase. Not much to it. You know, the gold chain is now a silver chain on his amulet. You know, on the card, you know, it's oversized. It's an oversized retro card. The You can tell that the painting of Destro on the explosion card back is different. It's more modern. It's in the Hector Grito style, but it's not Hector Grito. It, it looks acceptable. So, and then on the back, you have the multi-language file card, which again is oversized. Not enough of a difference really to make it feel like that if I was to buy this on the secondary market, it would have been worth it for me. I'm still collecting classifieds right now. This hasn't been opened up out, so I can't tell if it has the floppy waist joint or anything. But it's there. Next up is Gung Ho. Now, Gung Ho does have a slightly different paint app. You know, he's more in his retro colors. They also increased the size of his eagle in front of the globe with a knife through the globe. Um, it's definitely clearer on the picture. It's, again, in that Hector Garrido style. This one seems more Hector Garrido-ish. With touch-ups on the legs to mimic the action figure. And, you know, they include a a grenade launcher, which looks more like what he had in the vintage line. You have the vintage-inspired backpack. You have a proper marine cover with the, I want to say the, you know, it's funny. It's Walmart, so it's like it's not the marine you know, ball and bird. It's this, you know, the Hasbro reinterpretation of it so they don't have to pay licensing fees to the United States Marines or if the Marines would even let them use it. But it is more proper. It looks really good. You know, the vest changed. So they have a new vest. So they actually spent some money changing Gung Ho from his, his 07, number 07 release to this retro card, you know, new head sculpt. This is a figure where... You know, when they did something new with the new vest, I didn't think that the new vest was offensive. So this is a figure where I would probably say you take it off the card and you marry the two figures together to make something unique. I've seen a couple uh, customs. My favorite one was they took the new vest and they painted it into the retro colors and added it to the retro figure. I think that is what I would do personally if I go that route. It's an improvement over the original Gung-Ho, but much like my criticisms of the Cobra Commanders, it really, both of them together would make a great one. So, and that's Gung-Ho, and next up is Lady J. Now, Lady J is one where they really didn't have to mess with the figure much other than repaint or re- recolor it. It's in a brighter green, and she looks great. I'm not a huge fan of the change in makeup, although it is brighter, and that is nice. I do like the brighter head. I see that, you know, the the baseball cap is fixed. It has something reminiscent of the airborne wings on the on the baseball cap. It looks really nice. Overall, I like the fact that they fixed the eyes. I like the eyes on this figure a million times better than the original release Lady J. Now, you know, she gets one spear molded in one color with a replacement head. You get a new vintage backpack, a new camera, and you end up with a reuse of the spear launcher from her original I want to say number 25 release. I like it. I actually kind of like it a lot. You don't have the bandolier that's on the first issue. Overall, I think this is a huge improvement. Other than the fact that probably just got to change her hair out with the number 25. Again, you know, when with these classifieds, I always see something that I like better in one versus the other. I like the fact that, you know, she still has a communicator on her web belt. I really like some modern touches on these, even though they're doing a lot of scaling up of the original looks, which, again, I know that I'm harping over the same thing over and over again, but she's pretty cool. And now onto the packaging, you have, again, Hector Garrido-inspired artwork that's been tweaked to more accurately reflect the figure inside. And my only complaint about that is her face looks bad, it looks flat. Her face is facing, is front on, and it's almost like a dead eye stare on it, and I don't know, it just doesn't sit right. It looks kind of wonky, but overall, you know, I like the pose and stuff, but, you know, this is one definitely don't need the card. You know, right now the only card that I'm really impressed with is Gung Ho, and again, all these figures have multi-language oversized file cards on the back and another bonus is they have figure stands which they should have all been coming with before this yet this is 2022 and we had figures you know you think that when they learned their lesson to put figure stands in 1991 they would have just continued doing that like they did in the four inch line but finally we got the baroness she is a repainted more muted colors uh, version of her number 13 self that came with the coil cycle. She comes with a sniper rifle that came with the Cobra Island trooper. And her golden guns from her coil cycle are now black. Her glasses are removable, which means she has these slots on each side of her head. So why would you make them removable? You know, her... Different shades of black, much like the original Zero Zero release of Snake Eyes, very well appreciated on this figure. I still like the fact that the girls don't have that ab cut like the male figures do. They have a more mid-chest swivel like the Valiverse figures. And then the other thing is, too, she still has the single elbows. You know, Lady J has the double elbows. And then, again, the packaging has the Hector Grito-style artwork. So it looks better, but I don't know. It's just almost like this retro card back. They're trying really hard to ape the style. What makes the other classifieds unique is that they just did their own thing. Maybe, I know Adam Riches did the Sergeant Slaughter one, but I think his work on the comic covers, doing the action figure covers, I think he should have probably gotten the phone call earlier to do these because he really knows how to nail... That fine line and homage. Baroness looks really good on the artwork, but you know the legs look a little thin, especially her right. Her right leg looks really thin. Overall, though, it just doesn't sit right. Well, that's my quick look at the current four Walmart retro cardback classified releases. Now, we do have a comic book coming up, but before we get to the comic, I did manage to have my tag sale this past weekend, and it went okay. It was, you know, a lot of home goods, but a lot of my G.I. Joe's, because, you know, I do complain about having too much stuff. Advertised it probably not well enough, and it went okay on Saturday. The good thing was, you know, some kids came by and, you know, brought their dads along, and I will try to cut super deals for the dads and, you know, you know, take this, take that. Your kid really wants to play with us. Go right ahead. Take this, you know, don't worry about that. So it was nice. I got rid of some stuff. You know, there was the, the guys that come around, they have their cell phones out. They're looking to see what they'd flip and, you know, sold all my GI Joe comics to one guy you know, I got rid of... I had three short boxes of comics. Now I'm down to two short boxes of comics. You know, not saying that there was no issues, but overall it went off pretty good. I got rid of a lot of household stuff, and whatever didn't sell in the household stuff just went right to Goodwill. The G.I. Joe stuff, I'd say I still probably have 90% of it, and that all came back down in the basement. Now, with that, with stuff coming back down... I had been, you know, futzing around with the GI Joe stuff and I pulled down a vamp the other day, a vamp Mark II, and I noticed that one of the doors was broken. I was like, oh, whatever, I'll figure figure something out later. So I'm bringing stuff back downstairs and I did have an extra like parts vamp, something I put together with just spare parts that were in my totes and it had a good door. So, all right. So I start replacing the door. And then I realize, well, you know, there's other issues. And then, so I've, you know, take it apart, put it back together again, and fix the door. And then I'm putting it back up. And then I'm looking at my other VAMP Mark II, because I'm keeping two. And I'm like, what's this tape doing around the, the roll bar? And the roll bar was broken on my second VAMP. So a five-minute little, let me just switch a door out before I figure out what's going on. Turned into probably 45 minutes to an hour of taking three Vant Mark IIs apart and putting two complete ones back together again. One being nice and super mint and then the other one being more, you know, 100%. But, you know, uh, a minor issue here and there. Uh, Mostly the steering wheel had been cracked at one point. But that just means the steering wheel's in there and then when I jam clutch back in, I'm not super worried about breaking the steering wheel because it's already broken, so we will have that. On that note, that wraps up my World of G.I. Joe for the week. Now I want to take a look, a quick look, at G.I. Joe 296, the last five-issue arc of A Real American Hero, as it will be published by IDW, ending with issue 300. Now the creative team, as it has been, is Larry Hama as the writer, artist S.L. Gallant, Maria Keen on inks, Jay Brown on colors, Neil Uyatake letters, Riley Farmer editor with group editor Tom Waltz, and research specialist Diana Davis. Cover A is by S.L. Gallant with colors by jay brown so it looks like Essel glant did again did the inking on it it is a really cool cover i like it that you we have current snake eyes throw down sean collins throwing a dagger at a crimson guardsman holding a pistol and we can see from the reflection in the blade that it is laura 343 this is reminiscent of that the incredible hulk cover where you see wolverine on the cover but the hulk is reflected in wolverine's adamantium claws and he's throwing the dagger over a looks like some card game table or a dice game table and you got the two dice that you know look like they're in the air but they're uh, showing snake eyes you know there's nothing really going on in the background so the background's not interesting at all so it's simple but it's that would be my one my one uh, detractor for that cover it's still solid cover b art by jamie sullivan colors by raul angulo and audrey sullivan and this is the interconnected b variant cover that's going to be of it looks like all the cobra baddies it's similar to the gi joe one he did earlier in the series you have an original hiss with 788, which looks mirrored. And you have a pterodrome in the back. But the funny thing is, I just noticed you see a hiss coming out of the bottom of the pterodrome with the number 827 on it. And that is not flipped. So that's kind of interesting there. You know, and you have a, a rogues gallery of Cobra and Dreadnoughts on the front. You even have Devil's Do, Zanya, and, you know, Zartan, and torch and buzzer and road pig don't really see too much you got some eco warriors and Secto vipers and you even have that robot from issue number three you know hydro vipers i mean it's a it's kind of busy but it's in the the that jamie sullivan style so that's pretty cool we have the retailer incentive cover by john royal and jagdish kumar colors by james alfredi it is Outback, Dusty, and low light. you know, on the attack. So, wonderful work by John Royal. It is nice to see his other stuff besides his pinups. I mean, his pinups are attractive, but he really is a great cover artist. I like whatever he does. Always seems to be top-notch. And we have an online exclusive cover, which I haven't received yet. And it has Dawn Moreno attacking Laura 343. And you have uh, Dr. Mindbender on there. So, got to get that uh, one soon. My 295 also arrived this past week, but the box was damaged by FedEx. It wasn't shipped in a comic mailer. The comic was just laid on the bottom of the box, and it got completely destroyed. Uh, Reached out to IDW. They will be sending me a new 295 as soon as they can. And... Uh, do a quick summary of this book if you want to skip ahead you know a few minutes to get away from any spoilers go right ahead it starts off with a little flashback to genghis khan for five pages before it rolls into the firefight going on since we last left the joe team as they were confronted by laura 343 at the end of issue 295 we got a lot of yelling going on which is kind of uncharacteristic of s.l galant but it is kind of warranted in this book during a firefight that everybody would be yelling um as people are shooting overall this issue is mostly going from point a to point b with some sidestepping you know with roadblock and rock and roll and gung-ho trying to come to the aid of scarlet's team with dawn and helix and jinx and throwdown it's really an action-filled issue with a lot going with a lot of fighting going on however the plot really is an a to b plot uh what was mr hama trying to accomplish it's really just to get serpenter version 2.0 out of the cloning chamber and I know Mr. Hama knows how to write tighter. His early, The early Marvel comic books, some people have told me they are very dense with verbiage. But it is not... It's dense, but it doesn't turn into a bunch of talking heads. So it really makes you work hard to follow the comic. However, this book, we're not really following too much because there's a ton of action going on. And... You know, one notable highlight is the fact that there's a night creeper, you know, and he has a gun built into his crossbow. That is kind of funny. And we have the Joes loading up in the pit. And uh, you know, we get a good view of the incinerators, which we I don't even know if we've even seen them first before in the comics. It's a simple book, it does a lot to not go far. In some ways it's like a satisfying action book. But in other ways, it leaves you lacking because it's like, could there have been a way to do more or progress the story further? And I don't know. It's I've read it a couple times, and I kind of want to read it again. I just can't put my thumb on my opinion on the book other than the fact that I enjoyed reading it, but I felt like I needed more. I think that's a, been a theme for me the past four or five issues as these come out biweekly. And I don't want to seem down about them because I do enjoy reading them. And major spoiler alert, it ends with the Cobras finally hitting, quote unquote, accidentally the tank. where And then Serpentor is freed. The amalgamation of different leaders, but Genghis Khan conquering all. This Genghis Khan version of serpentor is unleashed. So, and that will bring us to the end of issue 296. And that brings us to the cover image for 297, I assume, with Scarlet Shock to see what's in the tube. Is that that other project going on cuz it wasn't really mentioned much this issue. So, I was ha- I'm happy to see that. So, again, solid issue. Enjoyed reading it and uh can't wait to keep reading on this road to 300 and closing out this episode we're going to take a look at another personal favorite vehicle and that is 1990s GI Joe Locust the Locust is a small helicopter from later in the line in the 1990s I this is one that I did have as a kid this was a must-own for me when I re-entered collecting So I have my two complete ones now, one with stickers, one without stickers. The Locust is interesting in the fact that it was released twice the same year. The Locust was released as a green and yellow version as part of the G.I. Joe General, a massive base on wheels that I have yet to acquire. But I had the little single boxed version, which came in brown and silver, with a blue canopy and that's the one i'm going to talk about i like the green version i hope to one day get that i actually wouldn't mind owning that separately from the general because the general is a vehicle that when i get it i'm only getting one of and i wouldn't mind having two of the green locusts because it's small it's it's almost like the gi Joe version of the fang but it's an enclosed cockpit start off with the colors again it's ma- the main chassis body is brown and the armament, the landing skids, and the tail rotor are silver. You have a transparent blue canopy for the top and the bottom. Where the feet, the, where the character's feet go, you know you have a bottom canopy as well. And you do have the use of a black rotors, uh, two-blade rotor, and also a black figure clip. So it holds one figure to pilot it. You could fit a figure on each side of the landing skids. So the blueprint's kind of funny. I'll read it off um, as and use that as also a guide to go over it today. The, the first thing it talks about is the uh, the rotor blades, which they call aerodynamic high-tech propeller blades. And this is the first thing that I saw. and was like, okay, I just got to read it off this way. You know, it's a helicopter, it's a rotary wing aircraft, and They're making special note to call it an aerodynamic propeller blade, you know, aerodynamic high-tech. I think it's just funny that they made the specification for (laughs) the aerodynamic for the fact that if it wasn't aerodynamic, it wouldn't lift up the helicopter. The next thing they point out is the rear stabilizer for maintaining proper in-flight balance. So on, let's say, a traditional helicopter, it would be vertical. On this one, it is horizontal so that is kind of a little departure from a traditional helicopter however i'll allow it because it does swivel or it is it is also incorporated into the the tail rotor which will which can swivel left to right which could aid in turning the helicopter so that is a neat little play feature similar to the tomahawk and then we go to You know, the landing skids, which they call titanium-supported, damage-resistant landing skids. Well, I hope they're damage-resistant. Make for a hard landing otherwise. And then we go to... It points out the little figure pegs on the bottom, calling the personnel transportation security platforms. Again, it's just like (laughs) pointing out the obvious. We then go to number five, the heat-sinking low-noise air-to-air missile. Now these missiles there's four of these that come with the locust two of them get mounted to the top of the airframe underneath the rotor you would expect those to be fired off like missiles exactly as it's called out for on the locust blueprints but on the bottom of this there is a trap door where it stores two more that they can drop as bombs and these are the same mold so You can play with them as bombs. You can play with them as missiles. You can play with them as both. I really like the play feature. I think maybe with some wording, we could have gotten something that explains them as both a missile and a bomb. They're a very simple missile, four stabilizer wings and a nose. The stabilizer wings aren't really that big, so it really looks like a bomb. It also looks like a missile. You have a like wire rope you have a wire rope on the opposite side of like the dumbbell peg slot going to like a rounded you know feature looks almost like a like a bowling ball that's chained to the bottom a little different verbiage would have would improve these for for me however i didn't spend much time paying attention to the blueprints after i built and stickered uh my my joe vehicles as a kid Next up is number six. It's called the propeller activation regulator, which is essentially the center of the main rotor uh, where the Jesus nut would be attached. Kind of an odd thing to point out. And then we go to number seven, the dual side-mounted armor-shattering machine gun. And I think it's pretty interesting that on these, they don't call out the caliber on uh, on these guns, that they don't mention millimeter or caliber, I don't know what they were thinking on this, but there's two of them on each side. They pivot up and down. They face the direction the front of the helicopter. So, it's not like a chin gun on let's say uh on an Apache or a Cobra or, you know, GI Joe language, the Sonic Fighter's Apache or the Dragonfly or the Tigerfly. I mean, but they're cool, and this is a small helicopter, so I like having a lot of firepower in a tiny package. And then finally, we have on the number eight the blast-proof plexiform transparent wooden screen canopy. You know, you can't say Lexan because that is a copyrighted uh, trade name by Dupont. Overall, you know, it's kind of simple on these blueprints, but some goofy things too. Taking a look at the you know the chassis. You know right behind the the enclosed cockpit you have a clear view of the engine and the engine is wide open there is no armor or panels covering it up from the outside elements to me that's both good and bad it's good because it adds a lot of detail in that one area a really nice focus for the helicopter but the bad thing is, it detracts from the realism where, you know, molding two covers that could snap over it, be, be amazing, you know, add, you know, credence to, let's say, a maintenance schedule. If that was your play pattern, it was not my play pattern. I did my missions were very rarely planned and very rarely, made, you know, the, everything was ready to go all the time, ready for a firefight. But it's just interesting. and just something to think about, you know, in hindsight. Um, Because this was an inexpensive vehicle. When I was 10, I bought it off at the store. I can't remember which store I bought it from. 10 years old in the 80s where my allowance was collecting nickels at the the side of the road and redeeming them for G.I. Joe money. I I understand why there weren't panels. And, hey, you know what? It allowed me to buy a toy um, and play with it. You know the trapdoor underneath where the missiles turn into bombs, or missiles that only fire downward, is a cool feature. It really did. It made uh, you know little bombing runs possible with this with this helicopter. The one thing that this helicopter has always reminded me of is the U.S. Army's Kiowa, which is a scouting helicopter, and it's you know it's a little it's a little thing too. But this seems to be more of like a modern interpretation of it and when i played gi joe as a youth it was my only helicopter but knowing of the kiowa and its role in the united states army i would use it as that's role where it would go out scout report back to the joes and then of course it would join the main assault on the cobra forces as well because You know, I only had had that in uh, a couple other minor toys for uh, air support. Who would I have piloting this? As a kid, it was always Flint, the warrant officer. In the comic book, I remember issue 104, you had Wild Bill. I've had one of my extra slipstreams hanging out in it. A lot of Joes fit into this. A lot of era Joes, different eras of Joes fit into this. You know, Hawk you know, from a G.I. Joe video, Paul talked about talking Battle Commander's Hawk in the role of piloting the locust. And it is. It's a it's a magnificent fit. Other Joes that could fit would be like Falcon. You know, he wouldn't he wouldn't look out of place. You know, Windmill, he has the right uh specialty as a as a rotary wing pilot. And then you also have uh guys that are a little futuristic looking. Um Long range fits in this as a, hel- as a pilot, even if that's not his MOS, but that helmet looks really cool, and he would look really cool in it. This helicopter blends the line between fantasy and reality well enough that multiple eras fit in. I could put in 1994 Flint in this, and I could put 1985 Flint in this. You know, 1983 Wild Bill, 1992 Wild Bill. We have things at the beginning beginning of the line, middle of the line, and end of the line that just works with this helicopter. And then it just goes to show that, you know, how versatile this little guy is. And how am I going to rate it today? I guess I'll rate it on the 0 to 5 missile-to-bomb scale. And with 5 missiles-to-bombs being perfect score and 0 being why would you even have this garbage made, this, to me is a must-own. And I think multiples in a collection, you know, it's small. I don't think having two, three, four is a big deal depending on your space, but two is definitely not a big deal. This is, to me, a four and a half. This is another four and a half vehicle. I love talking about vehicles I love. And this is one of them. You know, if you don't have Locust for your three and three quarter figures, you should probably pick one up. And if you have one, you probably know how great it is and if you have the you know if you have the green one and you know do you have major storm you know piloting it it's a great little helicopter you know multiple role you know scout and it's packing a punch too so four and a half missiles to bombs it is well that wraps up a packed missile of the chaplain's assistance motorpod i have been your host, Gary. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed listening to the podcast, feel free to leave a review on whatever podcatching platform you do. Anchor.fm, our host, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, or pretty much any other podcatching platform. The Chaplain Sisters Motorpod is on there. And if you'd like to follow me on social media, you can follow me at Chaplain Joe Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or search for Sisters Motor Motorpod. You can also send an email to chaplainjopod at gmail.com. And remember, the Chaplain's Assistant Motorpod is the nerdy little brother podcast to the pint, a pop culture podcast. And I have to say that because Extensive Enterprises says I do. With all that out of the way, one final missile for the masses. Be decent to each other. See ya.